0: This is a podcast about Vancouver, our community, our culture, our quirks, and all the colors that combine to make our city of glass. My name's Moamir, and I'll be your host. This is Van Color. Hurry, is it, so you it. This is Van Color. <laughs> In Vancouver's municipal election, the platforms of the candidates and parties are rolling out bit by bit as serious policy debates have begun. The candidates are making it official between September 4th and 14th, putting their nominations forward in the race for mayor, city council, board of parks and recreation, and school board. You will be hearing a lot from them across different types of media, including debates hosted by various different organizations around the city, but only a select few of these candidates will get to sit down with me, your resident basic bro, for about an hour to expound on their motivations, their ideas, and their campaigns. It is an opportunity that continues to make me grateful, excited, and so fully engaged in what I'm doing here. And in all honesty, I'm really humbled by a lot of the feedback that I've gotten thus far. I love hearing from you guys, whether it's a kudos or a criticism, and I am open to feedback and I hope that you will take this as an open call to reach out to me on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. Just look for This Is Van Color and holla at your boy. Today on This Is Van Color, I'm joined by a mayoral candidate who started to put out planks from her election platform in mid-August, beating many of her rivals to the punch. She boasts an impressive resume, which includes serving on the board of the BC Assessment Authority and the boards of the Vancouver Folk Festival, Van City Capital Corporation and Van City Credit Union, and Mountain Equipment Cooperative, including three years as the treasurer. She left her job as the executive director of Simon Fraser University's Center for Dialogue to launch her mayoral campaign, and before that, she was the founding executive director of the Institute for Media, Policy, and Civil Society. She has also produced independent films in her youth, handed out the first condoms in Vancouver bars as part of the AIDS activism community in the 1980s, and has received scores of accolades from the likes of The Globe and Mail, Business in Vancouver, and Simon Fraser University. She could be Vancouver's first woman mayor, and she is one of the less than 400 people that Ryan Reynolds, Deadpool himself, follows on Twitter. Ladies and gentlemen, Shauna Sylvester. Shauna, how are you?
1: It's so great to be here, Mo. Thanks for that.
0: (laughs) You're very welcome. I'm happy to have you on.
1: Now, there's something for my generation as well that's equally exciting, and that's David Byrne, the leader of Talking Heads. Okay. Liked one of my Facebook posts. Is
0: that right? What was the the post about?
1: It was really about um, acknowledging what's going right in Vancouver um, and also acknowledging from somebody who was having a hard time coming up with what was right that, yeah, we feel that way. But when when we dig beneath the surface, there's tons of things that are going right in the city.
0: Love it. Okay. So you have some, Mm -hmm. you know, celebrity quasi endorsements.
1: Well, I'm not sure they go that far. (laughs) It's more than anyone else. My sister did send a note to Mandy Patankin okay, uh, and said, hey, want to support my sister? Yeah. She knows him, but uh, I haven't got the call yet.
0: (laughs) It's still early. It's still early days. (laughs) So I have to be honest, you have a very tenacious team. I was only three episodes into this podcast. I was advertising my fourth episode with Kennedy Stewart, and I get this email that says, you're missing a key progressive voice in the mayoral race. Shauna has a lot to say about the issues, including housing and small business. Please call me. And this was from your campaign manager, Trish. And it was the first time that someone had reached out to me to appear on the show. A few people have done that since then, but it was the very first one. Uh, and she was doing so on your behalf, of course. And I was like, okay, yeah, let's do this. So I I appreciate uh, your campaign manager, Trish, and and I appreciate your team for... And you for for being here.
1: Well, I think Mo that that speaks to you. Um, <laughs> actually, having worked in in media, having worked in in trying to set up radio stations in in Afghanistan with women, I know how hard it is to get recognition early as a media, as a, as someone coming onto the scene, and. and You've been meteoric in terms of you came onto the scene, and <laughs> next thing I know, people are asking me about uh, have you seen have you heard Van Color, have you been on Van Color? So Trish is a wise woman. She's worked on many successful campaigns, and she knew a good thing when she saw it.
0: Well, I appreciate those kind words. Very nice for you to say. We are we're still small, but we're growing, mm-hmm. and it's thanks to people like you for being here. Um, we are going to talk about you. You are the subject of today's episode, and I want to ask you the a question that I've asked Kennedy Stewart, that I've asked mm-hmm. Ken Sim. I'm sure you've heard it a million times, but I think it's important to talk about. Why are you running in this election? Why now?
1: I think there's a number of reasons I'm running, but if we're going to get at the root of it, sure, is I think historically we are going to have one of the most divided councils in our history. Mm-hmm. And I actually think diversity of ideas is good for public policy. But disparate ideological differences isn't good for good government.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I know that that's a little dry-sounding, good government, but but when you don't have it, you know it. right? Mm-hmm. I think the city of Nanaimo right now is struggling with a, with a council that's kind of going in all directions. You need to have somebody who has the skills of working across difference, who mm-hmm. knows what it is to work with people who don't agree, and to really help them come to decisions, and get work done. Mm -hmm. I've done that for 30 years. I get asked to do it around the world in conflict zones, in in a number of urban contexts. I generally get the call when things go wrong. And so in this context, and this is the second reason, we have a real polarization going on in our city. And unless you're out of the political bubble, you don't see it. Mm -hmm people are stepping away from democracy. They don't feel like the city's serving them. They don't feel like government's serving them. And when that happens, you create the conditions for uh, Donald Trump or Doug Ford to emerge. Thankfully, I don't think we have uh, that kind of character emerging in this election. Again, but it's early. It's early stages. <laughs> you never know. exactly. <laughs> but But I'm really sensitive to the fact that people are distancing themselves from our local government. And so that's the other really important reason to be here is to, as an independent, say, we can move beyond this polarization. Mm-hmm. We can connect city citizens to the city. And in fact, we have to, because government's not got all the resources or the answers. Sure. We need all of us. Yeah, And that's what I do.
0: Okay. It, well, on that topic, I mean, you've described yourself as the only independent mayoral candidate who has no obligations to serve, a political party. Now this seems to be a slight dig at Kennedy Stewart, presumably, but can you just explain what you mean when you position yourself as that? And I'll repeat that you're phrasing again, the only independent mayoral candidate who has no obligations to serve a political party.
1: Um I am not serving a political party. Uh, In fact, I feel like at this time, we can't have a mayor that's doing that. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it's a slight at Kennedy. I think Kennedy has served the NDP extremely well um, in Burnaby. I think he came on in in response to a a tweet that that Charlie Smith had put out regarding the speculation tax that he was the only NDP NDP candidate in the race. Mm. And so um, I think it would be, to to equate Kennedy as an independent would be, I think, um, blind to the fact that almost everyone that has endorsed him is NDP, sure. that he carries that um, important relationship with him. And I don't want to undermine the NDP either, but I think mm-hmm. it's really important to demonstrate that the NDP is in civic affairs now, and um, it is a political party. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is consolidating its base in 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 civic elections across the province, and so that you need to look at that candidacy. Doesn't mean he's he's not a good candidate. He's, he is a good candidate. Sure, there and are that, many and good candidates, and that's not what I
0: what I yeah. what I took from that. Obviously, he is running as an independent, um, at least nominally. Um, so, but when you describe yourself as the only independent, that's where I sort of raise an eyebrow and wonder where that's coming from. But I think that's a fair assessment if, if, if that's your position.
1: Yeah. And I don't think it's just mine. I think it's very clearly uh, take a look at the endorsements, take a look at the colors, take a look at, sure. you know,
0: yeah. One aspect of your candidacy that I've seen alluded to a lot, especially on the internet, on the Twitterverse, um, but that I haven't really seen fully explained, and, and I would like to give you an opportunity to talk about it, is your affiliation, uh, past, maybe present, I'm not sure, with Vision Vancouver. Can you tell me about your involvement with Vision Vancouver and why you chose not to contest a mayoral nomination for their party? And you've, or you sort of touched on this already, but... Like to get them um, specifically.
1: have no problem addressing that. So I was involved with vision in the early days when it was a big tent, when I think I would actually mm-hmm. consider it a bit of a movement at the time. Mm. And it embodied or embraced some of my ideals that, that married both um, an understanding of the environment, a deep understanding of the environment, and understanding of small business and, and business issues. And it really married a number of different political ideologies together. Um, I actually helped to found Women of Vision as mm-hmm. well. Um, but I started to part ways. I um, In 2011, I served on the board for a year. I stepped back in 2011. Mm. Um, and in part because uh, I was devoted to really exploring what being involved civically was in a nonpartisan way through the Center for Dialogue and through the SFU Public Square. Okay. And also because... I didn't align with some of the community engagement approaches that Vision had, um, so I did not. I didn't think that, that 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 engagement that was going on was authentic. Okay. Um, and felt very uncomfortable with that. I also, um, I've also watched Vision uh, become more and more partisan in its work. Mm. And I can't tell you how many times I was told, don't talk to this person. You don't need this. You don't need to talk to them. And, and that's just antithetical to who I am. Sure. I feel really strongly that in order f- to understand issues, I actually have a motto that I walk to the opposition. I want to understand how people think. Mm-hmm. I think if you're working in conflict, you need to, you need to have that mindset. So well, vision- and I would
0: just inter- interject and say, um, I mean, maybe it's idealistic, but we expect that from our government. Uh, You know, whoever's in power, we expect everyone to work together. It's it's uh, it's something that I think people um, believe, but maybe don't talk about as much. Is that we do there is a certain expectation that if if you're in government, you should be working with other people in government. It's a team effort. It's a collaborative effort. At the end of the day.
1: And I really think that that's essential at a city level. Mm-hmm. I mean, we do have in, in federal government and provincial government, you do have the government and the opposition, and the opposition has a role. But what we've created at our municipal level, when we have a dominant power, as you've had with Vision for the last three elections, is that the the people that are part of that party um, receive portfolios. Mm-hmm. They're working But then those that are not are treated as opposition. So it's almost like a mini-parliamentary system in a city, and we don't have the resources. We have 10 people on council. We need all of those 10 people bringing their best ideas, their best selves forward. Mm -hmm. And we need them to check their need to brand their parties at the door and get to work for the people of Vancouver. And so right. that's why I think it's so critical right now that you have not just an independent mayor, mm-hmm. but an independent mayor who has skills working across difference and uh, who does not have an obligation to a political party. And that's, and that's why I think um, I have stepped in to the race because that's, that's what I do and those are the skills that I have.
0: Okay. So again, just to fully clarify, because mm-hmm. I've seen this brought up a lot when your name comes up, you have no no longer any affiliation with uh, Vision Vancouver.
1: No, I don't, and 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 haven't for some time. Uh, I'll be honest. The I there you'll see pictures of me at the AGM, and it was at Simon Fraser University. Yeah. <laughs> I ran downstairs to attend that meeting because I thought that they were paying tribute to Andrea Reimer,
2: mm. um,
1: Tim Stevenson, and. And uh, the mayor, Gregor Robertson, because they had indicated they weren't running. So I thought, well, it's an AGM; they're going to pay. They're going to pay respects. Sure. And I got there, and no, that didn't happen. <laughs> I was standing in the doorway and saying, "When's w- w- when's the flowers going to come out? When, yeah. when you know when's the accolades?" Because I do want to acknowledge, I one of the things that I find interesting that's happening
2: mm-hmm.
1: in in our society is that we're not treating the people that run for elected offices very well. Historically in Canada, when somebody would say that they were not going to be running, we would acknowledge that. Mm -hmm. And we would say, whether I agreed or not, they served our community. Absolutely. Because so much goes in. I don't think anybody has any idea how much every one of those city councillors and our mayor are sacrificing in their own lives to serve us. Mm So I want to do that. I want to do that with any political party. Mm-hmm. Um, I did it when Elizabeth Ball. I I, I made a public accolade to act in, to to pay tribute to her for mm-hmm. all their years of service. Now, interestingly enough, when when our mayor said he wasn't going to run within, I think it was within about three minutes, there were thirty one line, one line vitriolic, hateful. Um, Comments. And I looked at that and I and that's on Twitter. On Twitter. And and then they disappeared. So you don't have to look hard. Those are bots. Those are those are being programmed. And there's lots of that going on. It's going on throughout our community. And we need to be aware of that. And we need to realize how much that's framing this Mm -hmm. vitriol. I'd like us all to calm down a little and say, you know, let's acknowledge the people that have done service. Let's disagree on policies, but let's not talk, attack them as human beings.
0: Well, and I think the internet is one of those things where it's like it's like road rage in a way because there's a certain disconnection from person to person because you have this vehicle of technology that everyone's kind of using. Um, but I think most people, even people that uh, do get upset on the internet, they sound, step back and they go, oh, you know what, I wish I didn't say it that way or... Um, shouldn't have reacted or maybe should have calmed down a little. <clears throat> so I think even if you do see vitriolic uh, comments on the internet, they're not necessarily coming from bad people. It's just, it's a very human reaction. And we see this, I think, like I said, the uh, the road rage is, is a great example. Um, it's just something that happens. And uh, it's it's great in one way because we're we we can connect with people we can connect with anyone through Twitter or or other technology but it's also um, disconnecting in another way right yeah. where you're not sitting in front of someone when you're saying something to them
1: it's true and 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 God knows I can get scrappy too. I saw myself do that and stop myself and say, what am I doing? (laughs) What am I doing? This is not the kind of behavior I want to get into. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think, and and I understand that. The part that that I want us all to be cognizant about are those bots that are coming when people are asking and they've only got a picture of themselves in front of an American flag. and, And they're asking to join our Facebook groups. Or they're showing up on Twitter with no sense of, and 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 they're being very vitriolic. Let's be conscious of the mm-hmm. impact they're having in terms of getting us riled up. Because let's be honest, that's how Trump sure. I think that, his I think campaign. that's fair.
0: And um, but I I would also just add, we can't lump all anonymous accounts together. Mm-hmm. There are certainly some Absolutely. anonymous accounts on Twitter that uh, provide a lot of information. There's one in particular that I'm thinking of that. Provides listings of illegal Airbnbs, and mm-hmm. that's their their gimmick and their thing, and it's it's fascinating. It's fascinating to watch. It's fascinating to see how many of them there are and how, you know, that issue is not being enforced. Yeah. So that um, user wishes to be anonymous, and I understand why they would, um, but they shouldn't be lumped in the sa- same category Absolutely. as someone who is just... Um, Trying to upset people. <laughs> yeah. No,
1: thanks for that. That's that's a, a great example of, excuse me, a community service. <laughs> <laughs> there you go,
0: Mortimer. If you're out there, you heard it. <laughs> um, let's talk. Into, let's talk about policy, though. You have a lot to talk about in this area. You're sort of one of the first mayoral candidates who has a lot to talk about in this area. In your August 22nd speech, you promised that if elected mayor you will provide Vancouver with an accountability report on the city's finances within the first hundred days of you taking office. So I read that, and I think that's great. But the first thing that kind of came up in my mind was, is what you're proposing, does that suggest that there's information that isn't currently available to the public? And, And do you feel that the city hasn't been transparent or forthright with its financial reporting?
1: So I think if you go online to the city's website, you'll get a lot of information. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important. But people I'm talking to um, don't know where their taxes are going. So there's some work to do around explaining where taxes are going. And I think that there is one area that I haven't seen and. Maybe it's because it happens behind closed doors. I don't know, but I've not seen the property endowment. I haven't seen mm. a financial report on the property endowment fund. So I, I actually name that okay. when I make that commitment. So part of this is a, is a is helping citizens develop an economic literacy, a financial literacy. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of it is I'm interested. I, I I look at the budget. I look at the expenses. I want to see what's behind some of those uh, those lines. I, I, they're very top line, mm-hmm. um, and it's in the details. And, and what I tend to do whenever I get involved in a board is I go and look at the story that is told um, in the finances. Mm. And every financial statement has a story. And yeah. it's to say, and, and it's, it's the true story, I mean, because it's telling the, what's going on. But I really look for that. I really look for what are we learning from where our money is being spent? What are we learning about priorities? What are we learning about how we're preparing for the future? Mm-hmm. What are we learning about how the city represents itself and through the, its through its finances? And this
0: reporting that you're proposing, this will be presumed the way you were talking about it, uh, presumably digestible for even someone like myself, Absolutely. a basic bro. <laughs> I mean, <laughs>
1: what I what I learned is that we need it, when you talk about the term. Uh, or literacy, I use the term literacy, it means Mm -hmm. that the information is presented in an accessible way Mm -hmm. so that uh, those of us that don't have accounting backgrounds Mm -hmm. can understand it.
0: Yeah, exactly. Cool. Um, Another thing that you talked about in in that same speech was this idea of a lobbyist registry. When Kennedy Stewart was on the show, this was something that we discussed as well, and I want to discuss this with you. NPA City Councillor George Affleck push for this in 2015 then he envisioned vancouver city councillor andrea reimer worked on a motion for a lobbyist registry in february of 2017 and it actually passed in city council but when i was doing my research to figure out what happened afterwards there seemed to be nothing so what happened and why isn't there a lobbyist registry right now
1: well, I'm not sure I can answer that question, but I have that same history that you do. Okay. I know that that Councillor Affleck and Councillor Reimer have put it forward. I also know we have a number of other cities mm-hmm. that have put lobbyists and, and do have lobbyist registries. You know what I think comes down to it is it's one of those issues that um, that certain people care about, but isn't s- s- sort of core to how the city operates. So mm-hmm. it gets it gets left off. Um, that would be a conversation I'd be sitting down after being elected with mayor, and it'd be one of the conversations I'd be having with our city manager and saying, how quickly can we move to the implementation of what already appears to be an approval of a lobbyist registry?
0: From your understanding, though, there's no um, uh, provincial permissions or authorities that would be needed or, 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 or anything else? Like, the city can do this on its own?
1: I need to know, I need to look at that more closely, not that I think it's within our jurisdiction, but um, there might be something that I don't
0: know about. Okay. And why is this important now?
1: It's important because I think that there's a sense or or a perception, whether it's real or not, there's a perception that there are individuals, developers in particular, uh, certain individuals that have access to City Hall that's disproportionate. Uh, mm-hmm. to others. And so there's a desire to ensure that there's transparency for the public to know who has access, mm-hmm. that they that they know that people aren't leaving the city, aren't leaving political office, and then going around and lobbying, uh, taking their knowledge and using it for the private sector to, to lobby. So mm-hmm. I've also, as part of my platform, uh, suggested that anybody that is an elected official or a city employee one year after leaving will be tra- treated as a related party and mm. not be able to lobby city hall or work in a consultancy fact in in a consultancy position uh, for a one year period
0: oh interesting okay I, I hear it uh, being phrased that way <clears throat> but what about the the opposite is the opposite also a cause of concern if you were to have, a lobbyist who then would run for office or or try to get a city job.
1: I don't know. I I would leave it in the hands of uh, the professional staff to hire who they think is most appropriate, and I'm mm-hmm. sure that that's going to have you know. I don't know. I, I can't answer that, um, and it will be for the people to determine if someone's background as a lobbyist, is what they want in a city councilor, or in, the, in, a, in a mayor.
2: Mm-hmm. I
1: think that a healthy democracy has people talking to government, and we call that lobbying. Mm-hmm. I think that that's part of what um, community service organizations should be doing sure it's something that the nonprofit housing sector should be doing regularly mm-hmm. um, is talking to people to try and get the kind of policies that meet the needs of their communities mm-hmm. um, part of the problem we have in Canada it's not just at a municipal level is that for every nonprofit that walks in the door to have a meeting with a minister or a counselor they've already received you know, three times, four times, and in the case of the federal government, almost 100 times the number of private sector lobbyists. Yeah, best. exactly. So it's it's out of balance. We's, we've also had a law which I spent five years of my life trying to change, which said if you were a charitable organization working for public benefit, if you did go in and try and Support a specific lobby or support a specific law, want to change a specific law, revise a specific law, you could lose your charitable tax number if you use more than 10% of your resources to do that. So it's it's a very unlevel playing field in this country. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think of lobbying as a bad word at all. I think it's essential to a democracy. What I have a problem with is when certain sectors have a disproportionate amount of access, and that's not transparent. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm trying to address.
0: Okay, fair enough. Um, you've also discussed adopting a set of seven principles for effective city building. Is this effectively a code of ethics?
1: It's more than a code of ethics. Okay. Principles say how we're going to function, but they're also a commitment to the community in the kind of um of things that matter to us. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm sorry I don't have the set right in front of me right now, but some of them is being truthful about what we know and don't know and where we need more information. okay uh, openness we could use the term transparency, but openness is bigger than that. Mm-hmm. It's a sense Absolutely. that we come to the city and we're open. We're a place. we're a welcoming place. Mm-hmm. We're not this, veil of <laughs> this 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 place that you have to try and figure out uh the snakes and ladders game in order to get something. Sure. Um that it's an open, it's transparent, that it's participatory.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I want a government that really looks around the city and says, how do we build connection? Mm. How do we learn from here in a real way both the values and the trade-offs that citizens want to make on on issues? Um, it's also one that is is respectful. And so, yes, so it's a way of sitting down with council members and saying, we're bigger than any one individual here. We as a collective can act in a certain way. So I would propose introducing uh, the new council to that set of principles, discussing it, mm-hmm. making sure that it fits with their and aligns with values so that collectively we can come forward to the people of Vancouver and say, hey... Hold us to account on this.
0: Sure, yeah. Now, would it only apply to city council, or would it also apply to city staffers as well? Well, I'm
1: looking at it as city council. Okay. The way, and we, my hope is, my hope is that our city staff uh, operate at a very high level of professional professionalism. I actually mm-hmm. think we have great city staff. Um, and one of the things I want to see, and I talk about that in the open and building trust in government platform, is that I feel like our, our staff have been um, part of a, a bit of too much partisanship within mm-hmm. City city Hall. And we've got great professional staff. I think it's a good governance practice that you let your staff do the operations and you govern, you help with strategy, and you hold people to account.
0: Mm-hmm. Have there been other municipalities within Canada or even globally that have implemented similar sets of principles, or is this something You know, new? I don't know. Okay.
1: <laughs> I have no idea. Where Interesting is the, where to is find the, where's,
0: a, where's the inspiration from?
1: It's a conversation that's gone back. Um, years and years ago, um, There was Ray Spaxman was somebody who was a counselor—or, sorry, he was somebody that did a lot of the engagement work um, okay. years ago under TEAM. And it's been in conversations with Ray. It's been in conversations within our Center for Dialogue. That's one of the first things that Mm. we did when I became uh, the director is we sat down and we really opened who we were and how we were going to function, what were our missions and values. And I find if people get on the page, the same page, then it makes it so much easier and you work together. And there's a real buy-in in in terms of how you're going to conduct yourselves. And and that's exciting. And, And... and I actually think talking to city council candidates uh, from across the political spectrum, that they want that.
0: Mm-hmm. Cool. Okay. Um, electoral reform. It's been a big political theme in the province this year. You've also discussed the need for electoral reform and the need to introduce a five-by-five five hybrid ward system to city council for future elections. Can you walk me through this step-by-step step in terms of what this looks like?
1: Sure, and I'm going to take you back to my my 20s, working on Commercial Drive. So a couple I think, of years ago. It, oh yeah, just a couple <laughs> <laughs> before kids, um, living on Commercial Drive, going door to door advocating for award system. Okay. I was very much a, a strong supporter of award, mostly because in those days I didn't feel like City Hall reflected my reality living on the East Side of the city. Mm. I felt like so many of the decisions were based on what the needs of the West Side were. And so many of the counselors were from the West Side. And now that's changed over time. You, but, it, but there's no guarantee of what that mix is sure, going to be. Yeah. So I heard over and over again um, from people on doorsteps, because I've been knocking on a lot of doors, that they feel disconnected. They don't feel that there's anybody that they can relate to. They're confused. Who are all of these 10 people? Why do we have an at-large system? So that's one side of it, that people need to feel closer to the people that are representing them. Mm -hmm. The other part, though, is that you can get into just a ward system where you have community people coming in as counselors, and they can't get beyond what their own community needs. They don't think of the city as a whole. They don't think of the long-term vision. And it can get to be, you know, if you've got a a neighbourhood association and, and I think... I'm not the only one that's heard the tyranny of the neighborhood association. It's, it's, and, and that's certainly not the case for a lot of neighborhood associations in this city. We have a rich, vibrant, fantastic group of neighborhood associations. But sometimes you can get, you know, the four or five people that consider themselves the representative for their whole community and mm-hmm. they come at you in the most negative, negative ways all the time. Well, I think when people hear ward system, they sometimes think that's what you fall into. Mm. The hybrid system enables us to have a big enough ward, so we don't get into that. So we have a big enough ward so I would I would elect somebody who would reflect the say the downtown up to 12th Avenue or something okay. and north. And you uh, if you lived in East Van, might have somebody you elect. And you'd be electing one person to represent your ward. Mm-hmm. But then you would be electing five councillors at large. Yeah. And that's where you're really looking for people who th- can think about the whole city, who can think about where the city's future is going. Mm. And so that they have a role to play to bring that bring it bigger vision. Uh, so that's the hybrid system. I also wanted to add on to it. Sure. It should be a, a ranked balloting too. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. But we're in the middle of a proportional representation <laughs> conversation. I thought, oh, if I do that, I'm going to confuse people uh, yeah. because I really want the PR community to have the space right now to talk about what we need to do provincially.
0: Sure. So, so on the t- on a ballot, you would uh, you would have a choice of candidates for your ward, and then you would have the at large candidates or maybe a ranked ballot candidates for uh the other five members of council. That's, That's right. Idea, right. That's right. Cool. So would with, with the councillors who are representing the wards, would they have offices within their wards like a separate office within their ward as well
1: that's a great idea absolutely I think that's a good idea but okay. that's that I mean we'd have to look at the financings of that but mm-hmm. the idea would
0: be because they're representing those communities absolutely right? so, so
1: they're representing those communities it's a it's an interesting idea I hadn't thought that far
0: I was just curious um cool okay uh, one thing that I I when I looked into this I came across, and I didn't know this before, was that Vancouver voters rejected a ward system in a 2004 referendum. Do you think that now maybe Vancouver has changed its mind or or the culture shifted where they might be willing to accept a hybrid system?
1: A hybrid, yes. I think that they would reject a ward system Mm. for the reasons I mentioned, that you really still need people at large who are thinking about the broader vision of the city. And so that's why I think the hybrid works.
0: For that hybrid, would a referendum still be needed? For that to make to institute that hybrid system. I'm not sure. Okay.
1: That's something that I have to dig into, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and I also want to say that it's generated some really great discussion, um, on social media. I've had some of the people who understand proportional representation well say, Hey, if we got PR, wouldn't that do it? Mm -hmm. I'm not sure it would. I still think you have this problem with so many people feeling disconnected and not feeling that they have somebody representing their community needs. Mm -hmm. Um, so I still think the hybrid system's the better way, but I'm open to a, a, a good discussion on this. I think it's it's exciting to see different ideas being played out
0: cool let's move on to what i think is the biggest issue in this election uh i am one of those people that feels like even though there are many important issues this campaign is turning out to be a one issue campaign one issue election i've asked other candidates ken sim and kennedy stewart about this as well so i want to give you the same question When it comes to housing affordability and the housing affordability crisis, what are the main tools at the city's disposal to influence Vancouver's housing market? And based on those tools, what do you propose that the city should be doing differently to tackle the affordability crisis?
1: Well, today, Mo, I released my housing platform. You did. And And I just want to say
0: one thing. This interview is coming out two weeks after the fact. So two weeks ago, you released your housing platform.
1: So my housing platform has been released. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So you can look exactly at where I think. So let's go through the question that you asked, which is what are the tools in the city's toolbox? Mm -hmm. The city has, is the biggest landowner in this, is the biggest landowner here. Mm -hmm. So we have land that we can bring and leverage. So that's one. We have the capacity to zone, and what we zone matters. Mm-hmm. We have the ability to uh, charge permitting fees or not charge permitting fees. Mm-hmm. We have, and development levies and community amenity contributions. Sure, We have the ability to speed up or slow down permitting. Mm-hmm. We have the ability to determine what kind of services that are adjacent are necessary or not necessary. We have the ability to convene other financiers, other players, like pension funds, banks, into the same room when there's a project we want to have funded. We have the ability to convene those players. Mm-hmm. We have relationships with the federal and provincial government. We have uh, uh, what I would call reverent power. We've got this power to <laughs> to speak on behalf of the people of the city. Mm-hmm. Um, We have the capacity to collaborate and partner with one of the most sophisticated community housing sectors I think that there is in the country. Mm -hmm. Um, And let's see if I'm missing anything. We have the ability to educate and communicate. So helping uh, people understand what their options are. And then we have some other tools like the capacity to create community um housing authorities land trusts mm. so different kinds of tools and vehicles that will enable certain kinds of housing
0: Well I have to say I've asked that question three or four times on this show that was the most comprehensive answer I've received
1: Well you see I'm not your standard politician you are and not. I I'll realize that, that.
0: <laughs> So so based on on all those tools that you've just outlined um what do you plan to do differently, or what, or what uh, what's your game plan that would be different than what the city's currently doing?
1: Okay, so let's look at the housing continuum. Sure. So at the first part of that housing continuum are the homeless, mm-hmm. and they need shelter. Yeah. And they need safe, stable shelter, and particularly for women who are disproportionately affected in the sense of the violence that they have to go through, mm-hmm. selling sex just to find a place to sleep. And so many women are not counted in those numbers of homelessness. Mm. So I've made a commitment to 2,800, uh, working towards 2,800 new units, working with whatever levels of government I can sure. and what to get 2,800 new units, 1,000 which would be devoted to women and children. So that's dealing, and that's at sheltered disability rates. So that's really um, working with BC Housing, working with... Uh, philanthropic sectors, churches, federal government, provincial government, wherever there is money to be had to support that. Um, As the mayor, I will be working with our staff to make sure that we're accessing it. So that's for the first piece. So then you start, and and, and on the housing continuum, you're always trying to get people to move out of whatever precarious housing situation they're in into more stable, long-term housing. Mm -hmm. So now we get to the area of Um, supportive housing, so we need many more senior-supported housing. I can tell you I had to work for five years advocating for my mother, who had Alzheimer's, trying to get her some kind of long-term care. Hmm. Five years. It's too long. It's too long, and I'm a strong advocate. (laughs) God help <laughs> the the doctor that has to deal with me as they you know send my mother home at midnight in a cab to my father who can't care for her. Jeez. So um so then we need to deal with those things. We need to look at those people who need supportive housing. Mm-hmm. And that's where we have Vancouver Coastal Health, again, BC Housing and others. that, and, and we've got a number of foundations and benevolent societies also in this space. And we need to work on that and increase that number. Okay, now we go into this whole area of where my daughter is, can't afford to rent, can't mm-hmm. live here. Um, so many young people are. It's why they're leaving the city. Um, they don't feel like we're investing in them. They're getting out. So many families, so many new immigrants need affordable housing. Okay, so we need purpose built affordable housing. Mm-hmm. We have a number of things. We have a great community housing sector, but the problem with that is we're not treating them as partners. We're going out, we're getting developers to develop housing and then handing them the keys instead of looking at them as the key developers. They know, they understand that that the populations they're serving. They know it way better than the city. And this is new for us. It hasn't been our job as the city to do housing. It was the federal and the provincial government's job. Mm. We've stepped in because there's a gap. And we're stretching our property taxes to do so. So we need to go into partnership. But we need to go into public benefit partnership rather than just private benefit to deliver purpose-built rental. And so one of the commitments I made is that we are going to be North America's capital for co-housing and cooperative housing. It's a model we have here that works. It's mixed income. People in co-op housing are subsidized and it can be built without drawing on the reserves of the city. We do need the land, Mm -hmm. but the land leverages so much more. And we put right now, this is where I, I have an issue with the current government. I'm a little upset with our current government on this issue. We have 40 of our 100 co-ops in the city that urgently need their leases renewed, and not one of them has been renewed in 10 years. Not one. Really? In no. 10 years? In the 10 years that those 40, none of them have seen a renewal. So I've made a commitment that in my first year, all of them will be renewed. And I will expect to see the co-op sector redevelop and add additional housing on that land. And I know that they will, mm-hmm. but they'll do it in a way that respects their community. Mm. So that's, uh, so I want to see the nonprofit housing sector come to the table. We need to give them land at an affordable rate so that they can build purpose-built rental, mm. really critical. And then we'll fast track that. Okay. Okay. Then there's the next part. People call it the missing middle. Yeah, It's the young professionals who cannot find a place to live. It's the families that there's just nothing out there for them. Mm-hmm. Now, if we get more co-op housing, there'll be lots of family housing there. Sure. It's some of the only three, four, and five-bedroom housing we have in this city. Um, so, But let's look at the missing middle. Here's where I think, and this is a big part of my housing strategy, we talk about gentle densification. I can tell you that Almost all of the people I have consulted on the west side, and I've been in many living rooms, have said the same thing to me. Their neighborhoods are hollowing out. Hmm. They don't longer see kids on the street. Their, their high roads, like West 10th um, Village and and some kids' areas, they're, they just don't have the customer base. Mm-hmm. Because people who are using their Air, Airbnbs, they don't have students there. Right. So the customers aren't there. Mm-hmm. These are becoming... Ghost communities. You've got empty houses, great big giant empty houses. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: And the people that are there are going, what's happened to this community? Mm -hmm. I love this community. So we need to bring homes into that community, but we have to do it in a way that recognizes the characteristics. We want to protect the canopy. Really important. We want to ensure that there's gentle densification. So enabling, perhaps a quadruplex in every block, enabling some different kinds of housing that increases the number of people who can live there. Now, here's the problem that we talk about just increasing supply. Mm-hmm. You can't just increase supply and expect that you're going to get to affordability. Yeah. That's been proven wrong over and over again in the city. So we need to ensure there's an affordability mechanism there. So the first thing that we need to do is create a path for a homeowner to say, okay, say you have a single-family lot and you want to create three units, three more units on it. For, that's purpose-built affordable housing. Mm-hmm. So you go to the city and you say you're going to do that. Well, you're going to get fast-tracked. We're going to roll out the red carpet for you and we're not going to charge you big fees. Mm-hmm. So we're going to fast-track you and we're going to keep that. We're going to have to find a way to keep that land, that purpose-built rental in a purpose-built rental framing. Yeah. So that those those advantages you've received um, turn around if you if you decide to put that into market. Okay. Mm-hmm. But we're going to protect the purpose-built rental. Now, say you're say you just want to build four more units. Say you are really struggling and you just you, you want to build four more units and you need them to be at market rents mm-hmm. or you want to try and find some way for your kids to live there, whatever it is. Well you're going to pay a community amenity agreement because that upzoning increased the value of your place mm. quite substantially. Yeah. So the city has to capture some of that. Mm-hmm. And we need to take that money, and it's got to be clear what that fee is. It's like a community amenity contribution, and that money goes back into affordable housing. Mm-hmm. So it goes into the affordable housing fund or goes to assist or offset. Is
0: this right. the, the land value capture? No, that's, that's a bit different. different. Okay. That's different.
1: That's one cities, and that's really it's something that's been looked at for years around transit nodes. Okay. And so there where you have a land lift, so you have upzoning because you, you're close to, say, a SkyTrain station. Oh, okay, right. Value of land goes up dramatically Mm -hmm. so what one city is saying we've got to capture that value Mm -hmm. and we've got to put that value into improving the transit services in that area gotcha and and i think it's a good idea and i've endorsed it yeah okay the last area along that continuum i'm going to call affordable home ownership Mm -hmm. and um Housing authorities, I've talked about housing authorities, they can either be for affordable home ownership or they can be for purpose-built rental. Mm -hmm. And you think of Whistler. Whistler went through a crisis because none of their workers could continue living there. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we have a problem in this city that none of our workers, particularly our frontline retail workers, first responders, uh, nurses, have a really hard time living in the city in which they work. Mm So I actually think the whole housing authority model is a really good one. And you can look at it in the relationship between um, rental. So you can work with employee groups. You can work with churches. And, and creating a housing authority, put a covenant on that land, which means that it can't be sold, bought or sold. It's going to be in that. It's going to be affordable rental forever and in perpetuity. Mm-hmm. And you can provide the discount. So if, say, for example, you're a nurse. You can buy in. You can potentially either rent or buy. It could be affordable home ownership. It could be affordable rental. Mm-hmm. You buy. And then um, when you go to sell, the next person has to be a nurse because it's going to be sold through the housing authority. They're going to have a nurse waiting to buy your place. Hmm. And, the, and you're going to see an equity increase. Right. But that nurse is going to see the same kind of discount that you got when you bought it.
0: So it's a really interesting yeah.
1: model, and I think it's one we haven't used yet in Vancouver. We we have something called Baha, the Vancouver Housing It, but it's not a housing authority as I'm discussing it.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, I have, again, I have to say I, I appreciate the nuance, and I uh, appreciate the uh, how comprehensive your, your housing strategy is. And I think it shows that you're one of the— First candidates to you know, release planks of her, her platform. Very detailed stuff.
1: So I may be the only
0: <laughs> candidate <laughs> As and a part recording. of that yeah.
1: part of that though, let's be clear, is that you hear over and over again campaigns aren't time to talk about policy. Mm-hmm. Politicians keep it emotional. I can't tell you how many people to tell me. Just tell a story, keep it emotional, keep <laughs> it at a values basis. And there's value to that, but that's not why I'm in this. Sure. We need change and we need it fast and we need real solutions. And I've been lucky because I've had hundreds of people helping me mm-hmm. think through those. And so those ideas are the collection of an incredibly smart group of housing committee members, but also dozens and dozens of consultations I've had, both in the downtown east side and across the city.
0: Sure. And, and not to be cynical at all, but just from a marketing communications point, in a field that this, that's this crowded, it's a great way to differentiate yourself as well i mean there are a lot of platitudes being thrown around which are great but if you're sort of the first one out the gate by i would say maybe a couple weeks now uh august 22nd was the first one who knows when the when the other candidates will release planks of their platform um but that's a great way to stand out as well right
1: well and people don't know me as well Mm -hmm. so it was really important for me um to say you know I'm not asking you just to vote for me because I'm a woman. I'm asking you to vote for me because I'm one of the most experienced, knowledgeable candidates mm-hmm. running.
0: Cool. Well, so let's talk about housing a little more, um, but let's link it with small business issues. I had Christine Boyle from One City on here last week, and she was very good at linking these two things together. So I want to ask you, how do you plan to support small businesses in this city, particularly storefront businesses that seem to be increasingly crowded out by big chains and high-end storefronts?
1: Well, I've also released a platform on that, and it's something I know very well. I used to be on the board of DVBIA, and I came up through a family business uh, growing up. Um, So I know the issues of small business, and here's a number of them. So first... Uh, let's link it to the housing, as you asked me to. Mm-hmm. Um, small businesses are having a really, really hard time finding employees. Mm-hmm. And in large part because they can't work here. Small businesses that are just starting are having a hard time finding trades because they don't want to come into Vancouver because of mm-hmm. the congestion problems. Okay, so let's look at the housing. The housing authorities, the co-ops, the um, co-housing, the gentle dens- densification uh, ideas and all of the other ways in which we're going to build purpose-built rental is going to leave that. I'm not going to rest until we get to a 3% vacancy rate. So that 3% is healthy in terms of ensuring that renters have choice and that they're not paying exorbitant and increasingly exorbitant rents Mm -hmm. and therefore can't live and work in the city. So that's a big issue. Now, part of one of the things that's happening in this city Is that small businesses, when they go to start, they have a certain amount of money uh, to put into permitting, to get themselves going. And Mm -hmm. that's, they have, it's the very tenuous time in a small business's experience. Absolutely. And part of the problem of what's going on with the city is that it's taking us two, three, and four times longer to get through some of those permitting and investigations uh, than it is other cities. Mm-hmm. So small businesses just throwing up their hands, and they're losing so much money because of those delays that it may actually stop them from opening. Mm-hmm. The other piece is that we've got a serious problem. Um, as we build out this this strategy of creating housing on our arterials, we're redeveloping our main streets and can be streets are high streets mm. and as a result of that we are getting to a stage where the rents are far too high in these new developments mm-hmm. and so instead of renting to that funky you know closed store or knick-knack store that we might have on main street sure. they're waiting for the income tax offices the dental units that can pay the bigger prices yeah so that changes the whole nature of what a commercial street is. This is, this is the liveliness of our neighbourhoods. These are the backbones also of our economy. So we really have to find a way of dealing with it. The other issue, in, in addition to ex- escalating rents from these new developments, is that we've got a huge property tax issue. It's probably the biggest property tax issue. Now, I used to sit on the assessment authority, so I know about the assessment of land <laughs> and value. One of the things is as, as we've rezoned these arterials... It means that those one stories along Denman are being taxed on highest and best use, which is that four story new place that you're seeing. Yeah,
2: it's crazy. And so
1: <laughs> most of these small businesses are in what's called a triple net lease, which means mm-hmm. they have to pay for all of the increases in property taxes. They have to pay for all of the increases in rents. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this is doable, but I am in discussions with People, former commissioners of the assessment authority, and it would be something, as I became mayor, I would try and pursue. It's a bit of a policy wonk idea, so I'll sure. be honest with you. I think right now, in the assessment role, all businesses come under commercial or industrial. Mm-hmm. There's nothing for small businesses. And yet, federally, in our income tax, we have a small business category. Right. What if we were to create a new category in the assessment role for small businesses. Mm-hmm. And then instead of taxing them, giving a property to ta- at the same rate as a commercial business, tax them at two times rather than 4.8 times residential, which is what they're currently taxed mm. at. Now I don't know if that's feasible because obviously that's a loss of income, but what it is is it's trying to grapple with those property taxes and then that small business could become a magnet to a landlord. Mm-hmm. I can reduce your property taxes.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: It's complex. It's not an easy. It's not an easy one. But it's where my he- I'm trying to constantly look at what's the problem, what's the solution. The problem is escalating property taxes. Let's fix that problem. Mm-hmm. So that's another area. That, that I'm focused on. So I think that the small... The other one is that uh, small businesses, we have business improvement associations. We don't have enough of them. Mm. There are whole communities that don't have a BIA to support them, and we need communities to support them. So I, I, I want to work with the BIA community to try and get more business improvement associations where businesses want them. It really has to be driven by the businesses themselves that they want them, because there's mm. a levy that they pay. pay. And then... Um, I think the last thing is that we need to name an ombudsman in City Hall to be the advocate for business. Because when things go wrong, there's not a lot of place other than going to the media. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and then they do that and watch them get on the slow train to nowhere.
0: Yeah. Um, and there's so many business owners that have a story of um, someone at the city told them that they have to do something online. And they do something online and nothing happens. So they phone and they said, no, you have to come in and do this in person. So they come in in person and then there's no one there. Or Someone's saying, no, no, no you have to fill it out online. And having someone in that role where you can take those complaints to instead of just social media or the media yeah. in general um, seems, seems functional.
1: Mo, and you've raised something that I think comes up, whether it's housing or business, is that we've got a lot of policies that, that are from a different age. Yeah. And they're overlapping. And it depends on who you talk to. And and you'll get I said it's snakes and ladders. It really is for a lot. There's not a lot of transparency. And the staff don't want that either. They want clarity. I mean, they want they want things to work. They want innovation in this city. They want to I mean so let's let's hamper the staff to do their job. Let's get clarity and common sense policies. Let's there's a review going on and I fully support let's get rid of the duplication, let's get rid of the old policies. Let's make it so that if you put a uh you know, if you're if the bike rack you've put out is 2 inches too close to the <laughs> to the restaurant on Canby Street, you're not going to tell the restaurant they can't have their outdoor patio. Right. There's some crazy things that go on in this city in terms of, of permitting, and it's got to be cleaned up. And um, And I think we need to ask the people on the front line, the workers, what needs to be cleaned up, too, because I think they have a pretty good idea.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I think a lot of people, a lot of voters share that sentiment and are, would probably be pretty happy to hear that. Um, we don't have enough time to go through all the issues. Uh, but but I want to ask you, is there is there anything that you want to talk about that... You would prioritize in the city, knowing that we're short for time. I'm sure we could talk about this all day, but anything that we haven't talked about that you would like to talk about.
1: I think one of the things that we don't often talk about is what is it that um, exists uh, to support the people that come to the city uh, to work here? Mm -hmm. They can be immigrants, newcomers, I should say newcomers because immigrants, you know, you could be a landed immigrant and be here for, for 20 years. So newcomers who come to our city. Are we going to be a welcoming city or are we gonna be an exclusive city? Yeah. And when people come to work here, I wanna embrace them.
3: Yeah.
1: I want this city to continue to be this diverse, exciting place. I want us to continue to be a foodie city. I love it. Sure. Um, I want us to continue to embrace the urban agriculture that we're doing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I also want this city, so that's one issue. I also want this city to continue its leadership on climate change. Um, we haven't talked about any environmental issues so far. And if you know my background, you know I started Renewable Cities, uh, a big movement that's now global, mm-hmm. and Carbon Talks because I actually think there's solutions on this and I think cities are on the front line I'm actually proud of a lot of the policies here in the city but it's not enough we are moving and transitioning um, off fossil fuels very very quickly in this in this country it's coming faster than we think we need to get prepared for the electrification of our system mm-hmm. we need to enable people to charge electric vehicles on the street in their in their urban in their um, strata, Uh, strata buildings or co-ops and we've got to start to look at how we also anticipate higher sea level rises Hmm. how we adapt to what's going on let's be honest the the fires the wildfires are a sign of things to come sure um and that's not a world i want to live in Mm -hmm. i want us to do everything we can as a city to get the kind of transit we need, to get people out of cars, to move off of fossil fuels, and really move towards becoming a 100% renewable city.
0: Okay, great. Before we do get to a couple of questions about the campaign itself, uh, I just want to go back to an earlier point you just made about welcoming newcomers. Do you feel that there is an undercurrent where Vancouver is not welcoming to um, to newcomers? I'm just curious where where that, that sentiment came from.
1: I think... One of the things I get concerned about, and it's it's what I've seen in the polarization, and, and you see it in the United States as well, and it's here in Vancouver, and, and we've got to be acknowledging it, mm-hmm. um, that we're enabling through conversations uh, a racism that's not acceptable. Mm-hmm. And I want to stop that now. Like I don't want to be part of a government that is finger-pointing at any particular community uh, for causing any of our problems we have complex problems
3: mm-hmm.
1: I will point to people using our housing for financial speculation. I will mm. point to criminal criminal activity I have no no problem doing that but mm-hmm. I won't accept that certain communities are uh, being blamed for the situation that we have created over years in this city right. I also really, really want to maintain what has been one of the most exciting parts of Vancouver, and that's its diversity. Sure. And um, I don't have a problem with it. I think it's an asset. I think it's great, and I want I want us to embrace it.
0: Absolutely, and I agree with you, and, and I think sometimes these things require nuance, and you're clearly a, a woman of nuance, and, and I would completely agree with the statement you just made. Um, I find it sometimes difficult because you get it the other way where someone's talking about, you know, the liberalization of 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 of, country, of money within our country, mm. uh, in terms of global cash flows coming in, um, and I think that's an interesting policy policy discussion on, and it's more of a federal level discussion, but that's an interesting policy discussion. But then you'll you'll have a detractor saying, well, you know, it's actually kind of racist, and it's like it's not. That discussion isn't racist. Or you can even have a discussion on immigration uh, that is a nuanced discussion that isn't rooted in racism or, yeah. or xenophobia or anything like that. And I'm a big fan of nuance and just this idea that we can talk about certain things. Um, and hopefully, as long as the, two, the parties involved in talking about them are coming in good faith, you can have interesting policy discussions, but I definitely I agree with you that there certainly is a current of um, racist dialogue. But then I feel like there's also a certain uh, propensity for some interest to throw out the racism card to shut down a what I would call a fair policy discussion.
1: I agree with you there. I'm, I'm I love the fact that there is a vibrant conversation about race in our communities. I mm-hmm. want that. Um, I don't ever want to silence good conversation. In Mm -hmm. fact, it's the antithesis of what I do at the Centre for Dialogue. We we use those opportunities to really encourage dialogue. I just want to be clear on what we're talking about. Um, If we're talking about financing and money flows and we're talking about maybe even criminal laundering, let's talk about that. Mm -hmm. Let's have a really good conversation about that. If we're talking about immigration and who gets to come here and who doesn't, that's a different conversation, mm-hmm. and um, and and I'm happy to have that conversation too. But I don't I don't want those two mixed.
0: Sure, fair, no, and I agree. Yeah. And
1: the other thing, and it goes back to the very beginning of our conversation. I'm in this because I'm scared of the polarization that's going on in our society, mm-hmm. and all we have to do is look south of the border, or even now to our neighbors in Ontario, and see um, a kind of ugliness, a kind of duality, a, a kind of You know, I'm American and I'm white, so I'm okay. Uh, And anybody else that's coming here is not. Right. And that's not okay with me. I agree. And it'll never be okay if I'm mayor. So, But we need to have the conversation and surface that and say, this is happening in our own community as well. Mm -hmm. I've seen it in my own work. Mm -hmm. And we need to name it. And we need to have the conversation.
0: Yeah. I think we're on the same page. I just wanted to uh, to, to delve in that a little deeper. Um, let's talk about the campaign for a bit. You've projected that no one group will hold a majority in city council, uh, which I guess is sort of the opposite thinking of the NPA because they're running nine city council candidates, so they, they're looking to run the board. Are there any city council candidates that you support? And maybe not a full endorsement just yet, but...
1: I'm not actually allowed to endorse anybody oh, because you're not. of no, because of the municipal financing regulations. Okay. I'm not allowed to endorse anybody. There's a number I mean, I, I think for me as I get to know the candidates, there are really exciting candidates in almost every party, okay, mm-hmm. perhaps not. Uh, what's the way young party i've forgotten their name coalition, coalition Vancouver. yeah I'm not i'm not impressed we don't have an alignment of values i have to say and it's no it's i'm talking about policy i'm not talking about people i don't have an alignment of values uh, there but i'm i'm really intrigued by the number of independents mm-hmm. I'm intrigued that One City kept it to two and the and and, and and really exciting candidates. Green Party's got great candidates. There's a number of good vision candidates. There's Cope's got some real life in it. Mm-hmm. Um so I look at that, and then and then there were there are three candidates. I think it's Wade Grant, um, Rod McDowell, and Adrian Crook, who left either Hector Bremner or NPA, and they I think formed we have both. together. <laughs> both, they're there and they're doing some interesting things together, and they're exciting candidates. I mean, I just look about, and I have to say that diversity is exciting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing how this plays out. I uh, I. I'm looking forward as a mayor to work with whoever gets in on council and helping them bring their best to the table, not in service of their political party, but in service of the people of Vancouver.
0: Cool. I will also add, um, and this isn't uh, an endorsement, but it's it's the hope that anyone listening to this will also look into Graham Cook, who is a few years junior than me, but we went to SFU at the same time. I think I was doing my... A graduate degree and he was doing his undergrad. So uh, just that I have a personal connection with him. Not saying you should vote for him, but I'm saying you should look into him. And he is someone who is in this election uh, with a lot of good faith and a lot of enthusiasm. So he's also, again, SFU alumni. So I just want to put his name out They're there. everywhere,
1: well. eh? <laughs> There's at least three mayoral candidates that are SFU, either right? <laughs> professors or alumni. I will say, and, and Mo, thanks for doing that in terms of highlighting. I think for the independents, for all candidates, part of the problem is people don't know them. Mm-hmm. And there's this new emerging research that shows that... Uh, People are far more interested in the personal reference you're going to give mm-hmm. to candidates than they are in the robocalling and the you know typical political uh, advertising you get. So everybody out there should be talking about the people they think
0: should get in. I think that's a fantastic point because I've had in my own life, uh, I would say at least a dozen people come up to me and say, who should I vote for? (laughs) And I'm not positioning myself as an influencer or any type, but I've definitely had people come up to me saying, you know, who should I vote for? Who do you think is a good candidate? There's so many of them out there. And especially now with the new finance rules, I think, you know, word of mouth marketing, which is probably the hardest type of marketing to harness, uh, is really going to be important. It is going to be about people telling their circles and other people within those circles telling their other circles. And advocating for each other in this, in this much quieter way, I think that's going to be really important in this election. And it just for, from the little I've seen.
1: Yeah, no, and, and, and research shows that more and more of us aren't making up our mind. I think we're at 65% right now who haven't made up their mind. And they're not being swayed by traditional political um, messaging. So, mm-hmm. yes, please Share your views.
0: <laughs> Do you think we're going to break 50% on uh, in terms of vo- voter turnout this year?
1: Wouldn't it be nice? I mean, I just think 50% should be a, a, a low bar. baseline. Yeah, I just, I would love, <clears throat> love, love to see people interested, caring enough, seeing themselves in candidates that they'll get out. Mm-hmm. Um, I one of the things that I love that I have going for me right now is all of these new people that have never been involved in a campaign, many of them mm. not even having voted before. Wow. Getting engaged and that's fun.
0: So And you would think that there is this segment of the population that votes in provincial elections, votes in federal elections, but just hasn't really been engaged municipally. Like they they seem they seem like the best targets to sort of get engaged, especially in a year where people are very passionate about a lot of issues.
1: Yeah. We have this, one of the things, because I work with people under the age of 30 all the time at SFU, whether it's City Studio, City Hive, um, you think of all the salons we have from Creating Mornings to Pecha Kucha, or however you say that, Pachachka, <laughs> the TEDx, you think of all of the spaces that that millennial, what a powerful force Yeah, if they decided not to let uh, the older generation make the decisions about uh, what government looks like. And mm-hmm. I actually think, okay, I might be dreaming in technicolor, but I actually think this might be the election that gets them involved.
0: I would hope so. And you would think as, you know, you yourself are a mayoral candidate and there's so many mayoral candidates and city council candidates... When the when the field is this crowded, but you have this untapped population that maybe has not been involved in municipal politics before, you guys are all gonna be trying to get that instead of dividing the current pie of, of people that that vote anyway.
1: Yeah. Right? My goal every day is to get out of my bubble. Yeah. How many people I've met each day in Vancouver that I have that are not part of my circle. And I have a pretty big circle being at SFU. At sure. uh, the Center for Dialogue, the public square had a big circle there. But every day I ask myself, who am I meeting with? How have I made an effort to get out of my bubble? And mm-hmm. it's a—it's taken me to lots of different places in this city and to lots of different corners I didn't even know existed.
0: Mm-hmm. Love it. One last real question, um, you you are running, a campaign of substance, and I think this uh, this chat has has proven it. A lot of nuance, a lot of specific ideas, but it is worth noting that uh, you're you're not, and you alluded this to yourself. You're not running on this idea of um, vote for me because I'll be the first woman mayor in Vancouver, although Vancouver has never had a woman as its mayor. I just want to get your take on that. Why do you think that is?
1: I wish you could follow me day by day through this campaign and you'd know why that is.
0: <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean? I don't think
1: there's a day that goes by when I'm not fielding some kind of comment that I still find in 2018 um, shocking. Hmm. Uh, but I think that... And we're
0: talking on a persona. Person to person basis. Be, yeah,
1: person to person. It can be email. It can be a whole range of things. But mm. that's but that's not the issue. I think the issue is that um, maybe we haven't had the right woman candidate yet. Mm-hmm. And I and I have said this time and time again. It's not that I'm a woman that I want you to vote for me. It's because I am by far the most experienced woman, <laughs> person candidate in this race. Mm-hmm. Show me anyone that has the corporate board experience, the good governance, the financing. Okay, Ken Sim was an accountant. He's got, he's got me on that, but <laughs> has he been doing it for big corporations across this country? How many people have worked inside cities as much as I have? Uh, how many people get paid to convene and facilitate people who don't agree with each other to come to policy decisions and then implement them? Mm -hmm. I do that with the federal government. I do that for so many different cities. I do it around the world. I've got one in September. I'll be facilitating U.S.-Russia conversation on nuclear disarmament, on nuclear weapons in September. Hmm. That's what I do. Um, Somebody said, you know, are you punching above your weight? And I thought, hmm, interesting. Clearly you don't know me. Yeah. (laughs) And I think that's the problem is we think women can't count. They can't lead and or some people think that and of course we have great great examples of people around the world women around the world that do it well Mm -hmm. and uh, vancouver doesn't have to continue to do what it's always done which is put the white male guy in into the role as mayor Mm -hmm. it can do something different sure and it can uh put an experienced person it can vote for me on October twentieth.
0: I think you made a good case for yourself. If there are people that want to find out more about you, find out more about your campaign. Uh, you know, maybe even throw a couple of bucks your way. I can know... always use a couple of <laughs>
1: bucks. No more than twelve hundred. Exactly, but... just a couple. Mm.
0: Uh, how do they? How do they reach out? How do they connect?
1: shaunaformayor.ca is my website, um, which will go through many iterations between now and and campaign day. Facebook, I'm on Facebook actively. I'm on Twitter at Shauna Sylvester. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm on LinkedIn as well. One of the things I've loved about LinkedIn is I'm able to engage with people privately Mm. and ask them what they think is working and not working in our city. And oh my God, have people come out and just, you know, paragraphs after paragraphs. Wow. And some of those stories are heartbreaking and some of the solutions are fantastic. And so I want to encourage anybody out there in Vancouver, I'm applying for a job with you. Take a look at me. See if I'm qualified. And link up and tell me what you think needs to change in the city. I'd what, love to hear
0: from you. What an open call to connect. I love that. And I don't think anyone has cited LinkedIn as a way to connect. And I think it's a great avenue for the reasons that you just mentioned. So... Shauna, what a treat. Thank you so much for being here. I wish you uh, the best of luck in your campaign. I do appreciate the nuanced conversation. And uh, do you promise to come back on the show if, when you become the So mayor of when Vancouver? I become the mayor of if, Vancouver? If slash when. <laughs> if slash when.
1: <laughs> Thank you, Mo. absolutely.
0: Please do send my regards to Trish as well. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Shauna Sylvester, and she wants to be your next mayor of Vancouver, and she may very well be just that after October 20th. And I'm Mo Amir, telling you that in a city where you can be anything, be colourful. Peace.